0: Learn all about investing in real estate in College Station, Texas, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to College Station, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to College Station. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well good morning and welcome everyone. I am your host James Orr and today we have a really cool class. A class that I don't actually teach this particular topic that much. Today we're going to go over refinancing rental property tips. So this is the class about all the different ways to refinance your rental property and some tips and information about doing that process. You'll want to definitely check with your lender to get the most up-to-date version of this when you go to do your refinance. But this is intended to give you sort of like a a strategizing overview so that you can understand like the process, understand the different options for refinancing, understanding some of the pros and cons and what it does, and then understand sort of like the basic idea of loan-to-value limitations for being able to do these different types of refis. But when you're about to do this, you can't go to them and say – hey, on May 4th, 2023, James taught a class and he told me that this was the rule. And so this must be the rule. I must go ahead and have you use this rule. That's not how this works. You gotta ask your lender and find out what the then current rules are and regulations and how you do it and costs and limitations and all that other stuff. So let's jump right into refinancing rental property tips and we will kind of go over this. So there are, in my mind, four different types of refinancing and the ones that you probably are most familiar with is the concept of a cash out refinance where you're pulling money out of the deal or a rate and term refinance where you are refinancing the loan because interest rates have dropped but you're not trying to pull any money out maybe just the tiniest bit but you're not trying to pull any money out and you're trying to either extend the term of the loan Maybe you've paid off the loan over 12 years. You have 18 years left on a 30-year loan. And by doing a rate and term refinance, you could reset that clock all the way back out to 30, which would significantly lower your payment. And in a lot of cases, you do that because the interest rates have gone down and you want to get a lower payment for those two reasons. Number one, the interest rate has dropped and so your payment's going to be lower. And number two, you've extended the term out again on a now lower balance. And so that lowers the payment too. So the two that you're probably most familiar with is this idea of cash out refinance. And then also the rate and term refinance. You're you're refinancing the rate of the loan and the term of the loan, the, the length of the loan, okay? Now there's two other ones that you may not be as familiar with. The cash in refinance, sometimes when we go to refinance a property, we will actually put money into the deal in order to achieve a certain result that we're looking to do, okay? And similarly, recasting a loan. Sometimes we wanna pay a lump sum in order to have the lender recalculate the payment for the same target payoff date, okay? So if you think about this, what is recasting? Recasting is you have a loan and all of a sudden you come into some money, you come into $50,000 and you're like, whoa, I got this $50,000, I owe $250,000 on this loan. Why don't I go to the bank and say, hey, I'd like to make this $50,000 payment on this loan. What does that actually do for you? If you go to the lender and you tell them, hey, look, I want to make a $50,000 payment on the loan, what does that do? What it does is it moves the date that you will pay off the loan in. Instead of you actually reducing your monthly payment and improving cash flow, all it does is it determines how much faster you will end up paying off the loan. You're, you're basically saying, hey, look, if I had 20 years left on this loan, Now, by paying $50,000, you may only have 11 years left on the loan. It may be a significant decrease in the time you have left on the loan because you're still making the same monthly payment. But what if you wanted to go to a lender and say, hey, lender, I'll tell you what, I have $50,000. I would like to make a one-time lump sum payment on the loan. But what I'd like you to do, instead of changing the term of my loan and when it gets paid off, I still want it to be paid off in 20 years in this example, But what I do want you to do is I want you to improve my cash flow now. So I want you to reduce the payment such that it still pays off 20 years from now. Don't change my interest rate, but go ahead and just recalculate my payment based on this $50,000 lump sum. And the lender would be like, okay, for a fee of whatever it is, $500, we will go ahead and rewrite your loan. And not all of them will do this, by the way. It's only certain lenders. But we will go ahead and rewrite your loan and reduce your balance by $50,000, by you paying us $50,000, and we will reduce your monthly payment by that. Interest rate stays the same. The date you're going to end up paying the loan stays the same, but your monthly payment goes down, okay? And that's because you paid down some principal. So that's what recasting is. Recasting is your ability to improve cash flow by going to the lender with a lump sum and having them reduce it. And there's usually a cost to doing it. It's not free. So if you go and you do that, realize that you're going to pay a fee to do it. So it has to be a big enough additional payment for you to actually get it reduced, okay? Now, the other options, the cash out refinance, what you're doing with that is you're saying, look, lender, I want to go ahead and do a brand new loan with you. I want to borrow up to a certain loan to value. We'll go over those here in a second. And I want to borrow my own equity. I want to pull cash out and I will pay you interest for having access to my own equity. It does change the interest rate. So if you had a really great interest rate, doing a cash-out refinance could hurt you. It could end up being um, more negative cash flow or a higher monthly payment by changing the interest rate from the low one you used to have to now doing a cash-out refinance and it raises the interest rate. And there's usually a small premium on the interest rate for doing cash-out refinance. There's a small penalty, small risk premium that the lender wants to charge you in order to do a cash-out refinance. The alternative... To doing a cash out refinance when you have a a really good underlying loan on the property, you have a really good loan on the property at this low interest rate that you got, you know, two or three or four or five years ago, is you can go and get a home equity line of credit on an investment property, and you could pull cash out, leave the existing loan in place, and have that second mortgage, the home equity line of credit, in second position, um, in order to have, you know, a a way to access the equity in the property. And you'll have a higher interest rate on that second mortgage and it'll probably be variable in a lot of cases. Um, and so you'll be able to do that, but you won't get rid of that really nice first mortgage you have on the property with a low interest rate, okay? Now, that's the cash out refinance. What about a cash in refinance? Well, let's say you bought a Nomad property and you had 5% down. And you bought that property and you know you were living in the property for a while and you decided, hey, this is a, this is a good deal, but I want to move out of the property and you move into something else. Now you've you've you know the property value has gone up a little bit. You paid down the loan a little bit, and let's say you owe, I don't know, like um, you you're, you owe eighty two percent of the value of the property. Now you went you started off with five percent down, and now you've it's increased so that you have eighteen percent equity, eighty two percent loan to value. Well, let's say you wanted to do a refinance because the interest rates have changed and you'd like to be able to change the you know, the interest rate on your loan. They've improved enough where you want to go and do this. But you're not quite at 20% PMI. You're not quite at 20% loan to value. And you're, if you're less than 20% loan to value, you may have private mortgage insurance in your property. And so you may choose to voluntarily put more money into the deal, put cash in when you refinance, in order to get a more appropriate loan to value, a slightly better interest rate, and maybe even eliminate PMI. Now, another example this: let's say you have 23% equity in the property. And if you go, if you put two more percent down, you get over the threshold of being at 75% loan to value or 25% down, which improves the interest rate you're gonna get on the loan. So not only are you borrowing less because you put 2% more in, but also your interest rate has improved because going from that you know, 23% equity position to 25% equity position gets you over a threshold where the interest rate actually improves on that loan. And so you do that. And so that's an example of cash-in refinance and why, in some cases, even though a lot of times we're trying to optimize the, the minimal amount of money we have in a deal, sometimes we will voluntarily put more into a deal because it is advantageous for us to do so in certain situations. So you need to really take that into account. Okay, so we talked about cash out refinances where you pull out money, interest rate changes, you're kind of borrowing your own equity, you're starting to make payments, interest payments on the equity that you have. Cash in refinance, you're adding money when you do a rate and term, not rate and term, you're adding money when you do a, uh, I guess it is a rate and term, but you're adding money when you go ahead and refinance the loan, you're changing the interest rate, you're changing the term of the loan. Uh, Sometimes that improves your loan to value, sometimes it gives you a better interest rate, sometimes it gets rid of PMI if you were less than 20%. Um, kind of have an equity in the property. And then your rate and term refinance, where you refinance, you change the mortgage interest rate and you change or reset the term of the loan. You do not pull money out except a very small amount sometimes. There's usually an amount that a lender says, hey, look, as long as it's under $1,000 or $2,000 is the one I hear probably most common. As long as it's under $2,000, you're getting some cash back, that's fine. But if it's more than $2,000, that's considered cash out refinance and it's not considered a rate and term refinance, okay? So you can pull a little tiny bit of money out, so you're not having to do that uh, when you're doing the rate and term. And then finally, that idea of recasting, where you pay a lump sum in to have the lender recalculate your payment for the same target payoff date. The interest rate tends to stay the same for this, okay? So those are the four types of refinancing that we covered. When you do a refinance, it is very likely that they will require a new repra- new appraisal. And I think that is an increased likelihood for cash out refinancing. Now, we've seen a movement lately where lenders are moving toward not requiring some appraisals in some very specific situations. You know, definitely want to contact your lender and find out what the then current rules are. But we are seeing a movement toward not having to do new appraisals. You know, doing some type of like desktop underwriting where they check the value using some of their automatic valuation modeling. AVM type models where they're doing that, or maybe if you if you had a certain amount of equity in the property, they don't even need to do an appraisal at all. So be aware that that may be the case, but plan for it. Plan that there's probably going to be an appraisal cost, unless you talk to your lender and your lender says, "Nope, not going to be an appraisal for you." Okay. If you do cash out refinance, I think that that the odds of you having to do an appraisal, a new appraisal, is going to be higher. Okay. Now most refinances allow you to refi in the closing costs for getting the new loan, in some cases, the appraisal costs of getting the new loan, and in some cases also a certain limited amount of buying down the interest rate to be rolled in. So you could go and say, hey, look, I want to go do this refinance on the property. I've got a bunch of equity in it. I want to roll in the closing costs so that'll get added to your loan balance. I want to roll in the cost of the appraisal so that'll get rolled into your loan balance. And because interest rates are low right now and and I'm going to have this loan forever because I'm not going to refinance again, I want to buy down my interest rate so that I can get improved cash flow. And you could roll in the buy down as well. And there may be restrictions on this, so go check with your lender, but that is my understanding that a lot of these can be rolled in up to a certain amount. Now, you may not be able to refinance with conventional financing options once you get above the loan limit. So once you get, for example, 10 loans, you know, 10 conventional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, FHA loans, USDA loans, VA loans, once you get 10 of those on your credit report, on your tax return, and there may be some weird exceptions where if you and your spouse have totally separate tax returns, have totally separate um, properties that you own independently, where you could actually get 10 in your name and your social security number, and she can get, or he, whatever it is, can get 10 more on their social security number and their tax return, as long as you are doing separate tax returns, and they're on separate social security numbers, and you're not deeding them to each other and being on title. But check with your lender about what this limitation is. But once you get above that 10, you may not be able to easily do any type of refinancing, even rate and term refinancing, until you get down below 10. So you may need to pay off a property temporarily, get down to nine, do whatever you need to do, then actually refinance or do whatever you need to do for that last one to get back up to 10. So it starts becoming this kind of like much more complicated game of chess where this pressure on different things you need to move around and be strategic about stuff, okay? Check with your lender for their current rules and your current situation to find out what is appropriate for you and be flexible in your approach. All right, let's go over some tips for rate and term refinance. Allows you to change the current mortgage interest rate to whatever the current rates are. So if rates have dropped, you're allowed to do that. If rates have gone up, you're gonna get a higher rate if you do this. It allows you to change the current term of the loan. Let's say you want to go and extend it out to a 30-year loan, or maybe you're down, you only have eight years left, you want to extend it out just to a 15-year loan. It still reduce your payment, you know, for the same interest rate, but maybe you want to extend it out so that it's a little bit lower um, for the uh, 15-year loan, uh, doing that. And sometimes this can mean just resetting the loan back to the original term. So you paid down seven years on a 30-year loan, now you go and do a rate and term refinance, even if the interest rate is identical sometimes now extending back to that 30 years will drop your payment enough that it'll be worthwhile for you to do it to improve cash flow you keep the same balance what they refer to in the table to the right here as a limited cash out refinance in the table so when we look at these you know for your principal residence Here's the limited cash-out refinance, kind of like obligations, and limitations. Um, This is for a full cash-out refinance. For a second home, here's the limited cash-out refinance one. So this applies to you. And then for investment property, there's a section for purchases. There's a section for limited cash-out refinance, which is what we're talking about for rate and term. Or there's a section for cash-out refinance, which we'll cover here in a second. Okay? So Fannie Mae, Rocket Mortgage says this about limited cash-out refinance. Fannie Mae governs the functions of cash-out refinances. With a limited cash-out refinance, you could pocket $2,000 or 2% of the new loan balance, whichever is less, okay? However, the new loan balance will be higher than the original because of the funds dispersed and any closing costs not paid upfront. So that's from Rocket Mortgage, and it just describes that you can go up to, according to them, $2,000 out-of-pocket Or you can pocket $2,000, you can get cash out of the deal or 2%, whichever is less, 2% of the new loan balance. Okay. So realize if you have a relatively low, low balance, you may be limited by the balance of the loan or $2,000, whichever is going to be lower. So let's talk about the like maximum loan to value. So, investor property, if you're doing this limited cash out refinance, Of one to four units, anything more than four units, five units and up is considered commercial property. And those are different rules completely. But if you're doing one to four units for a fixed rate mortgage and adjustable rate mortgage, the maximum loan to value you can do is 75%. Okay, so you can go up to 75% loan to value. You'd leave 25% in the deal when you do this rate and term refinance, this limited cash out. Now, if you're living in the property, you could do a limited cash out refinance on one unit you can go to 97% with a fixed rate mortgage or 95% with an adjustable rate mortgage. If you're in a duplex, you can go to 85% for a fixed rate mortgage and adjustable rate mortgage. And if you're in a triplex or fourplex, it's 75% loan to value, sort of like what an investment property would be. Okay. And that's for the limited cash out refinance also happens to be for the purchase for those. If you have a second home, if you're doing a rate and term refi and you have one unit, which you can't do multiple units with those, um, then the maximum amount you can go with those is 90% loan to value for both fixed rate mortgages and adjustable rate mortgages. So you have to leave 10% in the deal on your second homes. Okay. All right. So that's the numbers for the rate and term refi. Um, this often improves cash flow in falling interest rate environments, especially. So when you have two things working for you, you paid down the loan a little bit. And so you have less that you owe and you have less left in terms of duration left on your loan. And when interest rates are coming down, it improves cash flow in two ways. Number one is you're usually extending your term out again. And so you're borrowing a smaller amount over a longer term. And if interest rates have come down from your previous kind of mortgage interest rate, then you've also improved cash flow from an improved lower interest rate. Sometimes the interest rate doesn't need to go down. But well, you paid down the loan low enough and you've been paying it off long enough that you can extend the term out again. And even with a slightly higher interest rate, your cash flow can still improve. Less, but can still improve. This can also be a way to change your loan type to remove PMI or mortgage insurance premium. So with FHA loans, the private mortgage insurance, with most of them, there's some exceptions. Uh, but, but most of them, when you're putting three and a half, like I'll say all of them, when you put three and a half percent down, uh, they have PMI forever. The, the PMI, the mortgage insurance premium you pay on that loan never goes away. And so if you want to get rid of PMI on an FHA loan, like you bought a duplex, triplex, or fourplex um, as an owner-occupant, you moved into the property, you lived there for you know a year, and then you decided to buy something else and now you've waited long enough and you've got some equity built up in the property, well, now you can go ahead and refinance out this cash out. You can do a limited rate, limited cash out refinance, one to four units once you have 75% loan to value and you can get rid of the PMI from the FHA loan. The tricky part is, depending on when you got your FHA loan, your interest rate may be really, really low even when you take into account the private mortgage insurance premium you're paying on it. Such that if you go to refinance it, you know if you bought a property three years ago when interest rates were really, really, really low and now the interest rates are much higher, even though you're at that 75% loan to value and even though interest rates have gone up, it still may be better for you to keep the old PMI loan with the the old FHA loan with PMI. So you got to run the math and see if this does improve it for you and how much it improves, okay? But this would be the way doing like a rate and term refinance and going into a non-FHA loan, or maybe you go back into an FHA loan. If you get over 20% down, you don't necessarily have to uh, um, have PMI anymore. Okay, so go do the math, figure it out. But this is how you get rid of that uh, PMI on FHA loans to get get it out of it uh, is do the rate and term refinance. Now let's so talk about some tips for cash out refinance. So the new loan amount equals the previous loan balance plus any cash you receive at closing. So you're increasing how much you owe on the property by whatever you decide to take out. So that means that you're borrowing more, which typically means your payment's going up unless the interest rate has come down so much and you've extended the term so much that the payment is lower. Now, borrowed money that you pull out of a loan is not typically taxable. But talk to your CPA if you plan to use the money for additional investing, because there are rules about where that gets applied. My very layman's, non-professional, non-tax advisor understanding of this is that the money you use to buy another investment property is offset by that property, not the one that you pulled the money out of. But go talk to your CPA to get clarification on that because I am not sure and I am not a professional and I'm not giving you tax advice because I'm not qualified to give you tax advice. I don't even do my own taxes. Okay, so go talk to your own CPA and make sure you got that down. All right, so let's talk about the maximum loan-to-value you can do now for cash-out refinances when you're pulling money out. So if you're going to try to pull cash out of a, a property that you're living in, with one unit, you can go up to 80% loan-to-value for fixed-rate mortgages and adjustable-rate mortgages. So if you're living in a single-family home, a condo or a townhome, and you're doing, you've got one unit, you can actually go up to 80% loan-to-value. If you're in a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, two to four units, remember five units and above is commercial, it's totally different deal. You can go up to 75% loan to value. So a little bit more conservative, they will only allow you to go up to 75% loan to value. You have to keep 25% equity in the deal if you're gonna do a cash out refinance. And those numbers are different than when you do the rate and term, okay? Second homes, when you're doing a cash out refinance, it's still 75% loan to value, okay? You have to be 75% loan to value to do cash out for this. Then if you're doing investor property, you're doing a cash out refinance with one unit, a single family home, condo or townhome, with one unit, it's 75% loan to value. If you're talking about a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, and you want to pull cash out of that, they only allow you to go to 70% loan to value. So even more conservative. They want you to keep 30% equity in the deal when you do this. So really to kind of summarize it, you're probably 75% loan to value. No matter what you're doing, unless you're doing a single-family home where you're living in the property, then you can go to eighty percent. Um, or when you're doing your um, uh, two units, three units, or four units, triplex, duplex, triplex, or fourplex with an investor property, it's more conservative. It's seventy percent loan to value. Okay. Now, this type of idea, this idea of doing, you know, cash out refinance. Although you can do sort of rate and term if you borrow the money in order to buy the property and the repairs when you do your burst strategy. But most often, when you're trying to do the burst strategy, a lot of times you're doing this cash out refinance model where you're pulling money out of the deal. And the ideal is to pull all of your money out of the deal, and put the and and so you have the money and you could use it to do other deals in the future. But the idea is to try to get all of your money out. And there is usually a delay. Most lenders now are requiring seasoning of the property for up to 12 months in order to do this. Now, there may be a, a kind of like, I don't know, a custom lender, a lender that has a very specific program Well, they will allow you to do a you know rate and term refinance or cash out refinance with less than 12 months. There's probably going to be a small premium on rate. And then maybe they tell you, look, you know, you do this loan, but then, you know, a year later you go ahead and do a traditional, you know, rate and term refinance into a, you know, conventional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac sort of product where you get out of their loan. And so it may even be some type of, you know, a balloon payment where, you know, there's a three-year balloon on it or a two-year balloon on it. You know, you got to go talk to these. And I'm just making this up. I don't know of any that are doing this, but that what tends to happen is. You find a need in the marketplace and these kind of custom lenders come in and they fill the hole with a custom loan product and they kind of cater to a certain need that they're seeing in the marketplace. And they a lot of times charge a small premium for that and they get their premium, you know, being able to cater to those guys. So if you want to do this with more traditional... Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, definitely talk to your normal mortgage broker and find out what the rules are. If you want to try to find one of these more alternative ones, you're more likely to find those guys advertising to like a real estate investor club or group, okay? All right, so those are the tips for cash out refinance. Owner-occupant refi. So if you're living in a property and you go, let's say you've been living in a property for 14 months, you've been doing the nomad strategy and you're about to move out and you're like, you know, rates have come down or equity has grown so much that I think I can get rid of PMI, what I'd like to do is I'd like to do a refinance using an owner-occupant loan while I'm there before I move out of the property. I'll just move out as soon as I'm done doing the refinance. Oh, no, 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 no. When you go and you do an owner-occupant refi, in most cases, the lender is going to require that you sign another piece of paper that says, I will remain in the property for another year. And if you don't do that, it's called loan fraud you know, um, you know, this this could be a version of like equity stripping, where you have a bunch of equity in a property as an owner occupant, you do a refi, go you max out the loan, you can get on it, you pull all of the equity out of the property, then you kind of like, leave the property, maybe you keep it, maybe you just abandon it. And you kind of say, look, you know, this was cheaper than paying a real estate agent, I only have to leave 5% in the deal. You know, look at the numbers there for doing a, you know, limited cash out refinance, or I guess your cash out refinance be higher, but You could do a limited cash out refinance and get up to 95% and just abandon the property. I don't know. Anyway, I digress. So you cannot just go ahead and do a refi and then immediately move out. Now, if you want to try to do that, talk to the lender and see if the lender will, if they have a loan program or if they're going to require you to stay in the property for another year. Some of them may not. But that's what I've seen. I've seen that they require you to stay in the property for another year. So check with your letter if you plan to refine and then move out before a year is up. Um, they may have rules about that. If you're if you're being transferred for work or there's some type of significant life event, I think there are some exceptions. You know, you and your wife, you and your spouse get married. When you were, you, know, you were engaged, now you're getting married, maybe that's a significant life event where you're combining households and you can move out before the year's up. Maybe you're getting divorced and you're going to move out and you're going to you know, keep the house or do whatever you're going to do with that. Maybe you got transferred to a different job. Maybe you're having a baby. You know, All of these might be considered significant enough life events where they can make an exception to that one-year rule, but you can't just arbitrarily say, yeah, uh, the next day after I do my owner-occupant refi, I'm moving out. They don't like that. They consider it loan fraud because they consider you got those terms of the loan, the better interest rate, the lower risk loan because they thought you were going to be living in the property, and then you immediately moved out. They don't like it when you do that. All right. So in conclusion, there are several flavors of refinancing. Cash out refinance, cash in refinance, rate and term refinance, and um, what's the name of the other one? Oh, boy. Recasting. Okay. Okay. So refinancing can be a way to improve cash flow. You improve your interest rate in some cases if the interest rates have dropped since you had the loan. You can extend your term on the loan. You had paid off a certain amount now you're going back out to 15 years or 30 years or in some cases 40 years. Now uh, you can also eliminate PMI where you know equity is increasing your property fast enough now you've got you know your PMI is low enough you can either request the PMI get removed or in some cases you have to actually refinance the loan especially with like FHA loans okay. It can also be a way to access equity in your properties. If you want to re-leverage up, take money out, and you want to go reinvest in something else, remember we had that whole class on how your return on equity and specifically your return on true net equity actually decreases over time. It tends to drop off until eventually when the loan's paid off, all you have is an unleveraged appreciation rate and your cap rate in the property. When you've got beyond your paying off the loan, you've gotten beyond your depreciation, then it's really just appreciation and your cash flow. And if it's unleveraged, it's cap rate and your unleveraged depreciation rate. So a lot of times you want to go ahead and re-leverage up so you can get back up on that curve where your returns are much higher on your equity. And so this is a way to access that equity, doing some type of cash out refinance or rate and term refinance, although not as much, You know, doing a HELOC on your loan is probably the way to access those. So be sure to consider when you're looking at these, the cost to access this equity. It's not free. There is a cost. And sometimes it's some of the more expensive money. As you see on the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet, I have a whole section on there. One of the nine charts on that dashboard is about your, your like how much equity you have and what the cost is to access that equity, both doing a, a uh, refinance equity, a cash out refi equity, and also if you sell the property, what the cost to access that is. And to, uh, refi tends to be the cheaper end of the spectrum. It tends to be more expensive for you to sell a property to access that equity. So how accessing this equity, the other thing to consider is how accessing this equity will impact all areas of your return. A lot of people get confused. They think, you know, I'm just going to pull money out of this deal and then my property will still cash flow. Maybe not. Maybe by taking the money out of the deal, your cash flow gets significantly diminished on that property and maybe it's even negative such that the money you take and you invest into the next deal, it needs to be super strong at cash flow in order to be able to support the payments you have on the other property. So you want to really look at this. You want to look at those kind of like return quadrants we have, and you want to look at the return quadrants and how it changes the property you still have, the one you're doing the refi on, and also the property you're acquiring with that money and make sure that they support each other. Or, or if they don't support each other, you're okay with that, right? Like you could be okay having negative cash flow if you decide to re-leverage up because you think the overall return in your portfolio is going to help you get to financial independence. It's not a property you intend to have where it's going to cash flow massively. You're really doing this to capture the great appreciation, some debt pay down, some tax benefits. And you're okay feeding the property, having some deferred down payment while you're doing that. And there will likely be, you know, this topic specifically will likely be an entire separate series of classes in the future. Probably not until I'm done doing all the stuff on buying when we go and we start talking about, should I sell or refine my rental? That's like intended to be the next whole separate module, not individual module, but like whole, I don't know, course, if you want to call it that way. All right, but there will be those things coming. We'll talk about those in the future. All right, that's all I got for you. Hope you enjoyed this class. Hope it was helpful for you. Learning about all the different ways to kind of refinance and some tips for doing that. Again, talk to your lender and get the advice you need if you're planning on doing this. This has been James Orr. Hope you have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates, cash flow on rental properties in College Station is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in College Station that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast. We'd love to add more value to our listeners by having you assist our investors buy, sell, and finance their real estate investments. See the show notes to schedule a call to discuss collaboration opportunities